0: If you look over just one more page there on page 13, we're going to read from Luke chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to take a look at uh, this song by Zechariah. who is the father of John the Baptist, so feel free to uh, follow along there. And John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people.'" To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this December, as we uh, lead up to Christmas and are taking time to reflect on the birth of Jesus, we've been looking at what we've been calling Songs of Christmas. And so far, we've looked at Hannah's song. Uh, which might not immediately occur to you as a a song that is particularly relevant to this time of of the year, but it actually is. We looked at Hannah's song as well as Mary's song, which is sort of famously known as the Magnificat. And today we're going to look at Zechariah's song, which is often referred to as the Benedictus. And all three of these songs are sung by parents, celebrating the gift of a child under the most unlikely of circumstances. And therein lies their common theme. And they prepare us for the most unlikely of events. And all three of these songs are actually responses to God's, how should we put it? God's response to the ache And even the grief and the sadness of real, live parents. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this song of Zechariah. And I want to try to get inside the story a little bit with you. Which means we're going to go back into the earlier part of chapter 1. And uh, so if you have a Bible with you or it's on your phone, you you might want to flip open to the the first part of Luke chapter 1. But um, I'll try to... Uh, read you the relevant portions as we get there. But this story of Zechariah and the opening verses of Luke's gospel really begin with an announcement of good news. And so what we're going to look at this morning is the recipients of good news and then responding to that good news and then delighting in that good news. So first we're going to look at the recipients and if we were to flip over to chapter 1, verse 8, and, or actually verse 5 to 7 there, we are immediately introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah, he was a priest. As it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And then there's Elizabeth, his wife. And she is from the daughters of Aaron, and if, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you'll know that Aaron was the first great high priest among God's people. Moses and Aaron are the two famous figures who bring God's people out of Egypt. Which is to say here that both of these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. These are faithful people. These are believers in the scriptures and God's promises of old. In fact, you could even look at this as Zechariah is like a pastor and a pastor's wife. That's who these people are. So they spend their days serving God on behalf of God's people. And yet, what we're told. In verse 7 of chapter 1, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, right away, Luke is creating tension in this story. Because if you were a first century Jew and you had even a basic understanding of the Old Testament, If you heard about this couple, they were barren and they were too old to have children. There is another couple that would immediately come to mind, and it's Abraham and Sarah. The whole story of Abraham and Sarah hangs on this suspense will they have a son? Because God had promised that through Abraham's offspring, he would bless the nations. And yet, Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. They don't have a child. What does that mean? And so right away at the beginning of this story, we are thrown into this suspense. What's going to happen? And you and I are both meant to wonder that. We're meant to ask the question, okay, Abraham and Sarah, and God gave them Isaac, though they were too old and though she was barren, what about, what's that mean? What does that mean for Zechariah and Elizabeth? What's God up to? Is he about to do something similar again? But then... As the story unfolds in chapter 1, Zechariah, as part of his order of the priesthood, he gets picked to go into the temple and to offer prayer and incense next to the altar of incense. And as he's doing that, an angel appeared to the right of the altar, right before Zechariah. And as we learn from verse 19 in chapter 1, that This is the angel Gabriel, whom we also have already heard from when we looked at Mary's song. Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced to her that she was going to have a child. And when Gabriel appears to to Zechariah, listen to what he says. He says to him, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. To make ready for the Lord people prepared. This is the good news that Zechariah receives as he's in the temple. And yet, Gabriel says to Zechariah, he says, you will have joy and great gladness. But that's not at all Zechariah's reaction. And so, secondly, let's look here how Zechariah responds to this announcement. Of good news. First of all, notice what we read in verse 12. Again, this is in chapter 1. It says, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, that is, Gabriel, and fear fell upon him. And then, he, and then in verse 18 of chapter 1, Zechariah, in response to this announcement from Gabriel, he says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now again, listen to what Abraham said (laughs) when God appeared to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son. Abraham says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? These echoes are not by accident. Here Luke is helping us to see something that Zechariah and Elizabeth and you and I have to hear and learn again and again that God alone can carry out His promises. And He does it in the most unlikely of circumstances so that we would never be confused about who is bringing about the good that you and I need. But here's the thing I want you to think about for a moment in in light of Zechariah's response. Remember who he is. He's a priest. He serves in the temple. Elizabeth is from the daughters of Aaron. These are people who know the Bible. And yet, notice his response. Zechariah's response is not, "Wow. What? What's God doing in sending me this good news?" Because I actually see in my own life the same experience of Abraham and Sarah. Is God going to do something like that again? It's almost as if Zechariah has no knowledge of that story. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean he just has forgotten? No. Here's what I think it means How easy is it that when our circumstances loom so large and heavy and overwhelming and permanent, it's hard to get our, our heads above the clouds and to see how God has worked before in those exact same circumstances? Do you see that here? How easy is it when grief and sadness set in in our lives? How hard is it to see through that to God's repeated work in the lives of his people to bring about something beautiful that left to themselves they could never see or never think possible? Now, notice how does Gabriel respond to Zechariah's response. This is in chapter 1 again, verse 19. Gabriel responds and he says, I stand in the presence of God and I, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. I don't know what you think about that. If an angel appeared to me in my office while I'm trying to write a sermon, it'd freak me out. (laughs) Uh, I understand Zechariah's fear and wonder and what do I do with this? And yet I want you to see something that's going on here. Gabriel disciplines Z- Zechariah. He says, You're not going to be able to speak until this son that I have promised will be born to you and Elizabeth, till he's born. And I, I've been chewing on that all week. Why did why that? Why does he say, you will not? be able to speak. And I honestly, I'm still wrestling with that. But what kept coming back to me was the contrast between God's announcement through Gabriel and Zechariah's unbelieving response. And I've just been left with chewing on this idea of maybe what's happening here is we need to listen, watch, and wait Far more than we do. Perhaps, whatever it is going on in in your life, perhaps you and I are far too quick to rebut what God is doing and what He's saying to you through His Word. And in a sense, what would it look like for you and I to listen, to watch, and to wait. And I think there are, some obse- there are a few observations I want to make to you from just this story, this part so far with, with, Ze- with Zechariah. First of all, I want you to realize that it's no- it was no easier to believe good news back then than it is today. You know, oftentimes, one of the, the, um, the objections to Christianity is well, that was a pre scientific time people were far more inclined to believe the supernatural. They didn't know what we know. Uh, we now know certain things, and those things just don't happen. But if you kind of flip that around a little bit and ask people, well, if God did a certain thing, what, what would actually convince you it's true? And oftentimes what I, I'll hear is, well, if I could see a videotape, a video recording, live recording of the death and resurrection of Jesus, I'd believe it. And I just want to push back on that. And, And here's why. Gabriel, an angel from God, shows up to Zechariah face to face and says, this is who I am. This is who sent me. Let me tell you this good news that God has sent me to tell you. And what happens? He doesn't believe him. What does that tell us? The problem is not with God's message or how it's communicated to us. The problem is with us. And until that penny drops and you believe that about yourself, you will never believe God's word. Ever. No matter what you think, what kind of hoop you want God to jump through to persuade you. And Zechariah's story is proof of that. His experience... I venture to guess many of us would have a very similar desire and expectation. And if God did it, well, then I'd be fine. I'd believe it. That'd be enough evidence. He would have proved it. Didn't work for Zechariah. Second observation. He doesn't believe him. He doesn't believe Gabriel. Doesn't believe God. But know this. God's commitment to bring good news into the deepest, most tender parts of your life is not dependent on your ability to receive it. God brings good news into the lives of people like you and me whose instinctive reactions to say, how am I going to know that? I don't think I can believe that. I don't believe that as a matter of fact. Well, here's the thing. God knows you're like that. He still... Speaking good news into your life, and lastly, this last observation here, this good news that Gabriel brings into Zechariah's life, it is a means to discipline us into spirit-filled joy. Think about this for a moment. What's the very next verse here in verse 67? Fast forward, okay? John the Baptist, is. is, this is nine months later, after Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple. And Elizabeth has given birth to John, and he's been named. And the very first words out of Zechariah's mouth after he is born are, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And verse 67 says, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. What did the discipline of Gabriel in Zechariah's life lead to? It led to spirit-filled joy. Now, I want you to think about this. This is entirely consistent with what the writer of Hebrews says about the way God works in the lives of his people. He says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And a little bit later, it says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Do you think it was pleasant that Zechariah couldn't speak? Do you think Elizabeth enjoyed that? Imagine moms being pregnant and your husband can't speak. (laughs) This is not fun. It's not pleasant. Even when husbands can speak, that's not necessarily always an advantage. But um, he's being disciplined here for his unbelief. But what I want you to notice, it's not a discipline that's an end in itself. It's a discipline on the way to this spirit-filled joy that we read of here in verse 68 through 79 in Luke chapter 1. What is this delight that we now hear coming from the lips of Zechariah? That through this experience, Zechariah discovers three things. First of all, what I want you to see here is in verses 68 to 79, Zechariah discovers that the God that he believes in was the same yesterday, today, and forever. The pennies have begun to drop. And how do we know that? Well, look here for a quick moment. If you look at verses 68 to 79, this song breaks into very clear Uh, sections, two sections, verses 68 to 75, and then verses 76 to 79. And in general, if we look at verses 68 to 75, those verses are all lyrics of joy and delight rooted in God's past, in the past of God's people, and how God has been faithful and he's rescued his people. And then, verses 76 to 79 build on that. And particularly are applied to the birth of John the Baptist. And the role that Zechariah's son will play in the greatest events of God's redemption. That he will prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. Now, how does he discover God is the same today, yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. Notice, so I want to point out some key words, and so if you like to underline, feel free to do it. First of all, notice in verse 70, God, Zechariah says that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. And then look in verse 76, he describes his newborn son will be the prophet of the Most High. God is not leaving us in the dark. He never has. God has always been a speaking God who declares who He is. He says what He's going to do. Then He does it. And then He interprets what He did for us. And what is it that He's done? Notice in verse 68, Zechariah says, He has visited and redeemed His people. And then notice down in verse 78. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And what does he come to visit us with? Verse 69 the horn of salvation. And the horn of salvation is a, that's a, a very old way of saying powerful, mighty, strong, complete salvation. And then look down in verse 77 to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And why does God give this salvation? Look in verse 72. To show the mercy that he promised. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Zechariah is discovering through God's gracious discipline that his God really is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he also is building all of this joy and delight on what we could call the way God saves his people. If we had more time, we could dig into this, but verses 68 to 75 are just full of echoes of the Exodus, which in the Old Testament and really through the whole Bible is the paradigm of salvation. God's people in slavery... Incapable of saving themselves. And God intervening, setting them free, bringing them out of bondage. And for what end? That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's straight out of Exodus. Exodus. The whole point of God's salvation is not so that we can go do what we want, but that we would enter into the beautiful, rich communion and fellowship that we were designed to have with God forever. That everything that gets in the way of you being a truly human woman or man or son or daughter would fall to the wayside. And you would enter into perfect communion and fellowship with God and with one another. So, Zechariah is delighting in God's salvation in the past. And in light of his own experience, he is discovering that he right now is witnessing God's final salvation. So what's the difference between how God has rescued his people in the past and what he's doing right now in the life of Zechariah and uh, momentarily through his son, John, as he grows up. What's the difference? Well, the, the difference here really is found when you look in verse 76 and he says, you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now, when Gabriel appears to Zechariah earlier in chapter 1, he mentions the Lord there in verse 17. But in that verse, the Lord cannot be understood in any other way than referring to Yahweh, to the God of Israel. And yet here, there's a subtle shift Luke is helping us to see that God's visitation, his coming to his people, is going to be more intense and more final and more powerful than his visiting of his people and bringing them out out of Egypt in the Exodus. And this visitation will be a person who comes after John the Baptist. And as we know from the story, This is the Lord Jesus, the son that is in Mary's womb, who will save his people from their sins. And what makes this salvation that we're reading about here in Zechariah's song so beautiful is its intensity. Listen to this. When he says here, The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Now, the sunrise there, or as other translations have it, as the dawn, is really a personification. Who's going to visit us from on high? It's, It's the Lord Jesus. Jesus here is pictured as a sunrise. Now, just think about that image for a minute. Why is a sunrise so powerful? Because it begins to disperse the darkness. It begins to replace our blindness with sight. The sunrise is what enables us to operate in the open. Without flashlights or candles or any other tool like that. It begins to remove shadows And as we see here, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Here, the intensity of the coming of Jesus is the pushing back of everything about your life and the world that we live in that is shrouded in darkness. That still experiences and feels the effects of inevitable decay and breakdown and eventual death that there is a sunrise in the coming of Jesus that says that will end. And I think the sunrise is such a perfect image. Why? Because it's not instant. It's progressive. What that means is Jesus is probably not going to push back all the darkness in your life in an instant. But he is pushing it back. And how does he do that? He's giving light into your present experience where you sit and the experiences that you have. And he does that in order to guide your feet. Where? Into the way of peace. Think about that for a moment. The psalmist describes God as one who is a light unto your path. And I'll never forget, a friend of mine in college said to me, he doesn't give you light. 10 miles down the road. But he gives light to your path. He guides your feet today. That means he's present and he's intimate. And he's with you right here and now. That is the beauty of the incarnation. The coming of Jesus. Because it tells us God is with you. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The very things that that Zechariah is singing here are really very similar to the words of Gabriel earlier in chapter 1. And they freaked him out earlier in chapter 1. But now, his great fear and doubt have been replaced by this great joy and delight. Now, what's your honest reaction to this? I want you to think about that for a moment. And in particular, thinking again of Zechariah and Elizabeth's experience. Childless, barren, aging. Do you think God can really touch your most tender, saddest parts of your life? This story says a resounding yes to that answer. And how does God do that? He does it by disciplining us with good news unto joy. And I want you to think about that. How how does God's good news discipline you? And as it does that, lead you to joy and to delight in this God who does not leave you where you are. But he sends his own beloved son at infinite cost to himself in order to bring you home. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this song and the ways in which that it teaches us about your tenderness and the power of your salvation and the ways in which you take us seriously even when we're so quick to disbelieve you. And you work through your good news to lead us to delight and to joy, to praise and to give thanks, to remember that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And we ask that you would rise upon us, that you would shine light into the darkest corners of our hearts and our lives, and that you would guide our feet into the way of peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.